Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, Pastor Ben Hartwig speaks to us on the importance of humility in our Christian walk. In this sermon, we are shown that humility is to be at the heart of the Christian and that we are to be a living sacrifice to the one who saved us. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 as Pastor Ben delivers his message titled, The Walk. context of the body of the church and uh, in who we are in Christ because this is everything that Paul has said for three chapters and now he's beginning to apply this and so I want us to look at this really as a big blob if you were to go to seminary and take a preaching class they would tell you to uh, that you need to explain the meaning of the passage and then you need to illustrate the passage and you need to apply the passage and then um, and and sometimes you know you go different ways with that but Look at this as a lot of application because from in chapters 4, 5, and 6, that's what Paul's doing. He's taking everything and all this theology that he's built in the first three chapters, and, and, and I really want to take this and apply this as it pertains to the body, uh, to the church. And, um, and so what we mean by church, hopefully we'll make a little bit clear as, uh, as we go into this. So let's look at the first six verses of, uh, of chapter 4, and, uh, and we will dive into this. Paul writes there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you, Father, for uh, the unity that you've given us here specifically in this faith family, Father, what we have, and then the ability, the witness that we have to those outside of these walls, the witness that we have and the ability that we have to serve. And Father, I ask that you would impress upon each of us because we all can do better, every single one of us. We can do better in service to you. We can always be more obedient. We, um, there's, always, there, there's always that sin nature that creeps up. And uh, Father, help us to deal with that. Help us to move forward in service and do just exactly what you'd have us to do and help our walk, Father. Uh, impress upon us that our walk is significant as we are serving. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for, um, as Brian said this morning, that which you have given us that are not suggestions, but you've made it very clear in your commands. And uh, Father, we thank you for that, that we don't have to wonder. Um, and uh, Lord, help us to, uh, to serve and bring glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you join a club... Okay, and now think of club as something that might be significant. Uh, Maybe it's an important club. Maybe it's something that goes out and helps the community or helps people or feeds people or something like this. Or maybe it's something more silly, a, a silly club or an organization or something like this. Regardless of what it is, whether it's something like, and I'm talking outside of the church, if it's something like the Gideons, you know, uh, Bob is a Gideon, and, and I used to be a Gideon, and, and that's something very organized that goes out and do what they does, or you uh, do what they do, or you go all the way to uh, some organization that might be a little silly, and you guys get together and you, um, you know, do something that uh, that you, because you all have a mutual uh, interest 
Regardless of what it is, you're expected, you're expected to and you're obligated to act according to certain standards, right? Act according to certain, uh, a certain written code for the group. Many groups, sometimes even sillier groups, have a, uh, a written code. If you were to go join a, uh, a motorcycle gang and, uh, and they told you you had to wear a certain black leather vest that had, you know, their name on the back, um, you know, Satan's Killers or something like that. <laughs> if it was something like that and, um, and, and you show up and you're, and you're, you're, you're riding a, a big wheel. If you're a kid of the 80s, you know what that is, okay? And, and, you've, got, and you've got frilly handlebars and, you've got, and, you're, and you're dressed in skinny jeans or something like this. You, what you have done is you have violated the code of the group, right? Because you're a representative of that group and you have violated badly. And so there will be consequences for that. Uh, in that case, probably death. If you're an employee, if you have a job, right? You have a job, you're, you're, you're obligated to act in a certain way. Just actually Friday um, at work, they, uh, there has been people that have been spitting tobacco juice all over the machinery, all over the floor. It's really gross. Um, and, uh, and so there's a new policy that came out. Uh, if you do this, uh, you'll get three days off. And uh, um, if you do it again, you will be terminated. And uh, they've gotten serious about this because it's disgusting. The, uh, the ladies that are sweeping around these machines are, are like, they're like, we're going to quit. We're not doing this anymore. And it's, it's really gross. And uh, Friday, I could wear jeans to work, right? Tomorrow, I can't. There's consequences for such things. You just have to do it. It's very simple, right? If you're a member of a sports team, you do exactly as the coach dictates for you to do, right? If I'm the fullback and I have to lead my running back through this hole and I have to, my job is to blow this linebacker's head off and I don't do it, we don't get that two extra yards. We don't get what we need. If everybody's not doing their job, there is a failure, right? And it doesn't work. You have to do what is expected of you. That's why these things are important. That's why these written codes are important. That's why something, a children's game, football, that's why it's important for young men because they learn that, you know what, if I don't do my job, things don't go the way they're supposed to go, right? And it's not just that it's entertaining. It is. It's not just that it's fun. Maybe it is. But what are these people gaining from this, right? Our human society, the way that we are, our culture couldn't operate without these kind of standards. So we have, as human beings, we have a natural desire. We want to be accepted. We want to belong. And many people will go to absolutely ridiculous lengths to belong. Um, you look at college-age guys, they will sometimes do almost anything to belong to a fraternity. Uh, I know whenever I was in college, there was a group of guys, not this guy, was not part of this group, but uh, there was a group of guys that got arrested in downtown Bowling Green because they were completely naked. And uh, they were rushing a fraternity. They didn't even have socks on. Every one of them got arrested, and uh, as they should have. Uh, but this is the idea of I will do anything possible, right, to belong to this group that I want to belong to. But there seems to be a disconnect in our culture. There's a, there's a problem. With all this commitment to such sometimes very ridiculous organizations and groups, there's often little commitment to the church. Um, things that don't matter eternally. There is great commitment to things that don't really matter eternally, but yet the church, 
the thing that matters eternally for us as a group, for us as an organization, for us as a body, something that is actually supernatural and matters eternally, sometimes there just isn't the commitment. You know, I, and I think every single one of us somewhere could find somewhere where we weren't totally committed where we should have been, right? But there is... Again, I, I reiterate uh, this morning, Brian in Sunday School was talking about these things in James, and, and, and this, these are not suggestions, right? God just doesn't make suggestions to us. He tells us. He co commands of us. And where the walk that is commanded from the Lord in the context of the church and what Paul is saying here, this, this, uh, this walk that is commanded, well, so many will align in membership with any even ridiculous things that might come, to, come by, sometimes it's, it's that we won't align in membership with Christ's church. Some churches have adapted to this, by the way, by completely doing away with membership altogether. They've done away with it. We're going to do away with the idea of membership, but there's too many people that are calling themselves, I am a follower of Christ, I want spiritual security, I want blessings, I want promises of the gospel, but I just don't want any sense of responsibility when it comes to conforming to standards and obeying the commands of my Lord and Savior. To say I want blessings, to say that I want security without having any accountability at all, that's not what this is supposed to look like, right? This is not the way that Christ has designed, designed this to look. The fact is that the Lord expects us to act like the new persons that we have become in Christ. He expects that His standards would become our standards. The, the, the life, that the walk, the, the Christian life is supposed to be becoming what you are, right? Because that's what we are positionally, is to become what we are positionally. We're not there yet. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but we're not there yet. But who we are positionally as blood-bought people in Christ, we're to become that holiness, right? Set apart for Him. What we claim to be. So in addition to love Christ, not love His church, to say that's strange, it's really impossible. I can't love Christ and not love His church. God expects conformity within the church, within the body of Christ. Now, don't mishear this, and, and this isn't like a forced legalistic conformity to external rules, to regulations. This is to be a willing conformity to the holiness, the love, the will of our Heavenly Father, the Father who wants His children to honor Him as their Father and then love His church. And there's a shift here that begins in chapter 4, that goes from all of the doctrine of which is the first half, as I said, of the letter to the Ephesians, of who we are in Christ. Uh, in, in that, in, like we said previously, that term, in Christ, is used repeatedly of, in, in, in who we are in Christ and the purpose of the gospel as it pertains to this ultimate glory, what it's all about back in verse 7 of uh, chapter 2. As we go back to that kind of a everything that surrounds it, why are we doing this? What is this about? Va uh, verse 7, chapter 2, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So that is what, that's what this is all driving to. And so all that first half of who we are, the purpose of the gospel as it pertains to that ultimate glory of God to our now duty, our practice, our walk as Christians. Um, 
can't be a faithful Christian without knowing doctrine, right? That's why Paul sets us up with that first. Um, this unity in the church, unity in the body of Christ, which is what this, uh, this is titled, not the part that was actually in the text, but this part that this section is titled, Unity in the Body of Christ. We're applying that now. And this unity in the body, this being fundamental. But he gives us all the doctrine, all the theology. We set that aside. If we set that aside, uh, that doctrine, we would set aside sound Christian living, right? So he has set us up for what he goes in to for application. So as we apply this, the way that we're going to look at this is, as it pertains is going to church. We say, you know, I think it'd be good to go to church this Sunday, right? I have, I haven't been in a month. I haven't been in six months. We haven't went since Christmas. It would be good to go to church. Paul never had that in mind. And and oftentimes that's the way. As growing up, I did not grow up in a Christian home, so I'll preface this little story with this real quick. But I distinctly remember one time, and I don't know why I remember this, but I remember one time as a child. Uh, my parents, my mom specifically, not my dad. It's the funny thing, though. My dad is actually the one who has become the believer now, praise God. Uh, but my mom, at that point, uh, he had passed away. But uh, my mom, um, she I remember her specifically saying, she grew up in church, uh, but I remember her specifically saying when I was a child, we need to go to church this Sunday. We haven't been in so long. Well, I really saw that as pointless, to be honest. And looking back, frankly, it was. Now, before you say, oh, it's pointless to go to church, it was pointless because there was no love for the gospel. There was no really understanding of even the purpose of this. The idea of just going to church is an errant thought because we just don't go to church. First of all, this building is not the church, right? This building is not the church. We aren't, whenever we, we can go out here, we can go up to, up in a in a middle of a, well our field over here and we are still the church we're gathering as the church right when there becomes an attitude that says i'm going to go to church whenever i go to church whenever i feel bad that i haven't been to church whether that is maybe that's two weeks four weeks six weeks a month a year whatever that is then what happens is that becomes an okay attitude here's the thing we are part of a body we serve in ministry alongside each other. And whenever part of the body doesn't show up, the whole body suffers, right? That's why we have the illustration that Paul gives us. If I lop my arm off, my ability to function, as I did previously with that arm, is hindered greatly. Every single part of the body is extremely important, regardless of what you do, regardless of how you think, you know, I was here and I was sweet vacuuming the floor. I, I don't I may have vacuumed this floor once, okay? But shame on me. <laughs> but you think that wasn't important. No, that is important. Everything that is done in service is important. And so whenever that doesn't happen, whatever it is, it harms the entire body. And so the difference in service to Christ, the difference in serving alongside one another, the, the difference in me and you holding each other accountable to this walk, the difference in us 
uh, checking on each other and making sure that we're okay and just asking one another what we can do for you, what how we can we can serve each other. There is a big difference in that and quote unquote going to church. Huge difference. It's a tremendous difference. We're called to a certain walk. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. That manner worthy isn't that when my mom gets me out of bed on a Sunday morning and says, you know, we ought to go to church this morning. That's not, that, that, that thought was never on the mind of Paul as he would write such a thing. And additionally to that, it isn't for me to find, you know, there's expectations that have been put on me, so I'm going to maybe go over to this place for a while where they, until they put expectations on me, then I'll go to this place for a while until maybe they make me accountable, and then I'll go to this place, and maybe I'll just come back in a circle. No, this is a worthy walk, right? And it's demanded of me if I call myself a child of the king. So, You've heard, you know, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk, right? You've heard this. It's easy to say these things, but it's another to do them. Well, here's Paul, okay? If there's a guy that could, you know, walk the walk, it was Paul, right? And, and he's making an appeal, and he refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Paul says this to remind them that he knows that the worthy Christian walk can be costly. Paul knew it, right? Paul knew all about that. He paid a considerable cost himself because he was obedient to the Lord, right? It cost him because he was obedient. He would not ask them to do anything that he hadn't done. He was not asking them to walk in a way which he had not. Paul was not attempting to shame them. He wasn't attempting to guilt them. He wasn't, this wasn't a passive-aggressive kind of thing that Paul was trying to pull off. I've got a friend that's a pastor, and he jokingly said one time, he said, oh, he said, the only way I get my people to do anything is by, is by uh, uh, guilt um, and, uh, and, and shaming them. And he laughs, okay? Now, he was joking, but there, there must have been a little bit of truth to that. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's not looking to guilt them into it or shame them into it. As far as he was concerned, he was a prisoner of the Lord, whether he was in jail or not. That's why Paul could be content, right? That's that whole content thing. Because he could do this because I'm in jail. Okay, I'm a prisoner. Guess what? I'm outside of jail. I'm still a prisoner because I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And that's why he could be so content. This was a guy, whenever he told them to operate in such a manner, it wasn't that he was. they were asking anything that he hadn't done. He became the Lord's prisoner on the road uh, to Damascus, and, uh, and he never sought to be free of that. And um, he was, in the fullest sense, he was a captive of Jesus. His objectives were Jesus. Uh, Jesus' objectives, his vision was Christ's vision. His motives were, were Christ. And, um, and, and that's a significant mindset that is quite different than, I think I'll go to church this week, right? This is to be seeing things vertically, okay? Um, Spurgeon and others called this Godward and manward, right? We see things Godward and we see things manward. And we need to see these things rightly, and we need to see things Godward rightly before we can see things manward rightly. Seeing things uh, uh, vertically, uh, rightly before we see them horizontally rightly. And so we have to serve God correctly before we can serve man correctly. So before I, quote unquote, do church right, 
I've got to see, I've got to be seeing God, right? That's why Paul sets all this up for us in three chapters and spends all this time building this and now goes into a very practical way of service. And I've got to see things vertically, Godward. I've got to see that right before I can serve alongside uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. The false gospel, on the other hand, what does it do? It orients me to myself, right? It orients me to self. Uh, and, and, and then I only see things in relation to myself. Uh, and that's where I would kind of get an attitude of where, oh, I think I'll maybe go to church this week or something like this, where things, uh, I'm not seeing things rightly. How does it affect me? It's why uh, whenever we think, um, whenever churches have, big churches have marketing departments, right? Because they want, they, they want the image of the church to be uh, seen to where it appeals to people. And whenever people are out and they're shopping from churches or they're bouncing around, then maybe we can look uh, attractive to that person. And, uh, and, and that's why there's a lot of bouncing sometimes and not so much settling. Because how does it affect me? How, uh, how does this uh, lay upon me? But when we're engaged in the church, right? When we're engaged in it and we're engaged in God's word, what are we going to ask? We're going to ask, how does this glorify God? How does this further the kingdom? How does this further his purposes? That's, a, that's an attitude of, of spiritual maturity. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. Uh, it doesn't say something like, you know, years ago I was hurt. And sometimes there is a real reason to have to leave a church, by the way. Um, but it's, it's not to say I was hurt and I'll never get that close in a church again. Now, there is, I would argue, that every single person, if you've been doing ministry in church for very long, you've been hurt. Every person in this room. Every one of us, right? But that doesn't mean that now I'm never going to serve in a church again, right? All of us have been hurt, more than likely. If you've been serving in church, why is this? Because we're serving with sinners, right? You're serving with me. I'm a sinner. I can wrong you. I hope that I don't. I really don't want to, okay? But I can be really, really stupid. And if I'm really, really stupid at that moment in time, I can hurt you. Do not place your faith in me, okay? Do not place your faith in Josh. You know, don't place your faith in the deacons. You place your faith in God. And, and you know what? We might, there, there might be hurt sometimes. And sometimes I, I've, seen, um, uh, I've seen people that have been hurt bad enough where not only they uh, left a church, but they had to leave a church. I mean, it was just, it was smart that they did that, okay? That, that happens, but that doesn't mean that I, you know, I'm going to quit serving God, right? We are, our faith is in God, not in men. Men will forsake you. God will not. Um, it doesn't sound very nice, but when this happens to me, I can think of one specific time. Um, for me, uh, I just had to put on my big boy pants and get over it and move on, right? I mean, that's, it doesn't sound nice, but I mean, that's what we have to do. We follow God. We're not following men. We serve Christ. And, and, when, and then whenever you are serving Christ, and then you're serving your fellow man, you say with King David, I have set the Lord continually before me because He's at my right hand. Psalm 16, 8. How can I most please Him? How can I most honor Him? We 
like Paul, um, we shouldn't make an apology. You know, Paul wasn't a guy that was apologetic about what he was saying. He didn't lay this stuff out and say, you know, I'm sorry to ask this of you. You know, Paul didn't do that, right? And, and we should not be apologetic when we're pleading with people to do what we know is right. Paul is not giving suggestions. Again, it's, I just reiterate what Brian said again. Paul is not giving suggestions here. These are divine standards. It's imperative that we walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of which we've been called. I'm not to resent, you know, I, I, I tell Josh, I will tell any of you that uh, if I need to be entreated in the faith, <laughs> if I need to be admonished, um, I welcome that, okay? And we're not to resent that when it happens. And we might, we, our pride might be offended at first, but then again, we need to get over it and move on, right? Make the correction and move on. I've been there. We've all been there. And, and so we're not to resent that. Whenever we're entreated in the faith, as Paul was doing to those that he ministered to, you know, it's, it's not to resent that. Loving concern for the spiritual welfare of others is often costly. And apart from God's strength, it can be very frustrating. It can be very demoralizing. It's not to be uh, just be a pastor, um, but every believer is to have a loving concern to entreat, implore, beg, plead with others to respond in obedience to the gospel. And that's not just lost people. I have to respond to obedience in the gospel too, right? I mean, I have to get out of bed in the morning and decide I'm going to respond in obedience to what the gospel has for me, that I'm going to, we are set apart for holiness and we need to be doing that. And then also we find ourselves in light of this. Sometimes, have you ever grieved for someone's, over someone's sin more than they were? That's hard, right? And then you're, you're, if you, if you, go to that person and you present this to this person and you've been grieving over this sin more than they have. It's hard. We're to entreat our fellow believer, our brother, our sister, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We want to be everything that the Lord desires of us. Sometimes that's called judgy, judgmental. Uh, you know, this, this isn't judgmental. This is pulling folks from the grief of sin, Right? You certainly can come off that way. You can be arrogant. You can act judgmental. Um, that's not what Paul is going at, and that's not what he's suggesting. So the word walk, when you see it in the New Testament, it refers to our conduct, our daily conduct, what we're doing, how we live. Um, again, it's one of the themes in the first, uh, first three chapters. It's a manner by which we have been, quote-unquote, called. We often misuse the word called, by the way. But it's another important word, called. The call that we normally misuse the word, the call is the Lord's sovereign, effectual call to salvation, right? This is Him calling us, pulling us out from darkness into light. Without this, without His choosing us, our choosing Him is a completely ridiculous notion, right? If God didn't call us to Him, no man would want to come to Him because natural man is at enmity with God, the truth of the gospel is that God not only sent His Son to provide the way of salvation, but He also seeks out the lost and saves them. This is why the faithful, responsive Christian is determined, as said in Philippians, to press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. And so, 
that takes us to characteristics, right? He goes then in, okay, this is the walk, and the walk has these characteristics that go with it. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have to look at the characteristics of the walk due to the fact that if we don't have these characteristics, we're either grossly tied up in disobedience or we're not a believer. Um, these are essentials, right? These are essentials. These are foundational. Uh, they're listed here as something that is necessary for our, for our living, for our walk. Um, you think of them as a Christian attitude. It means a lot, right? Christian attitude, attitude makes a difference. Um, I know a lot of places, whenever they hire people, they often hire people based on their character, their attitude, not necessarily what they know or don't know. It's like, you know, we'll hire a character and we'll teach them, right? We'll teach them what we need them to know. We want decent, uh, decent character. Uh, so humility. There's no accident that this one was listed first, right? There's no accident that this is first and foundational. Uh, John Wesley uh, observed something about the Greeks and the Romans and, and what he had learned and what he had gathered from the Romans and the Greeks, and that was they didn't have a word for humility. Now, this is interesting, right? They don't have a word for humility. Why? Well, because humility is not a virtue as far as they're concerned. Right? If humility is not a virtue, why in the world the whole concept of humility? It was abhorrent and foreign to them, uh, so they didn't have a word for it. When a word was developed, it was developed as an insult to Christians. It was developed as something that would be insulting to Christians because this is a pitiable weakness that you have. We know the fact is that the most foundational Christian virtue that we can have is humility. Without it, you can't be saved. We cannot be saved without it. This is serious. This is uh, the other side of this is pride, right? Where all sin comes out of. Pride. It's the first sin. Every sin after that is an extension of pride. Just as every sin has its roots in pride, every virtue has its roots in humility. Humility is to be a highly sought after virtue, regardless of what or pagan Romans and Greeks may believe. Uh, it's funny, it's a high virtue, a virtue that you shouldn't really claim, but uh, Christ, as the perfectly obedient, could claim obedience for himself. We know that Christ could have of any time, if anybody could have exercised any rights, divine rights uh, for him, uh, it was Christ, right? Prerogatives, glory. Uh, but what did he do? In obedience and humility, he refused to do so. Um, if he would have uh, done so, if he would have exercised those rights, he would have found himself outside of the Father's will. Humility is to be at the heart of, of our character. No uh, virtue is more foreign to the world's ways. The world we know exalts pride. Uh, you're supposed to put the spotlight on yourself. How are you going to advance at work if I don't spotlight myself, right? And so it's the world exalts pride, not humility. Um, throughout history, fallen human nature, which of course is ruled by none other than Satan has shunned humility, elevated uh, pride. It takes us again to that thing of how am I being served? It's the whole, you know, if, if I'm going out and I'm shopping for a church, you know, and I'm looking, how is this church going to serve me, right? And, and it's, it's, it's a pride thing. For the most part, humility is looked at as weakness. 
by the world, something to be despised. Now, sadly, the church will often reflect that pattern, unfortunately. Sometimes churches will reflect that, and what do they do? There's a building of programs and organizations about, around these uh, superficial enticements of, uh, of awards and trophies and public recognition and things like this. It's like a participation trophy, right? Um, you know, this is a fairly new thing to some of us, this whole idea. Um, you know, I know for me, 30 years ago, the, if we were, to, we would have been confused with this, right? For those of us that are uh, pretty unathletic and, and to, to receive a participation trophy for, for being horrible at this <laughs> is confusing. But see, this is what we've got. We've reshaped this, and now, hey, that guy, he's really good at this, but I got, I got a trophy too, right? And so it's... It's for some look at this as confusing, but this is this is what we've shaped, right? We're shaping, just furthering, bolstering up pride. God's call to His, God's call to you and I to His own, and to His church is to humility, and His work is only going to be accomplished through humility. Proper humility will cause us to confess our sin daily, making recognition before God. And then repenting in Christ, obeying Christ. Humility helps us to see ourselves as we really are. That's the problem. I get that participation trophy. Let's harp on that again. I get that participation trophy. I'm not seeing myself as I really am, right? I'm really good at this, right? No, I'm terrible, right? I've, I've got a friend. He made his kid give a participation trophy back to the guy that gave it to him, you know, because he, he lost, he didn't win. He wasn't that good at it. This humility causes us to confess our sin. It helps us to see us as we really are and who we are. And, and I have to see, you know, I've got nothing to offer God, right? I, I've, got, I've got nothing to offer Him to make Him better. What I do have to offer him, though, is my life as a sacrifice, right? To give that up, a living sacrifice in, in, for the one who has saved me. So then out of that, as, as you go through this, out of this humility flows the next thing. That's what happens. That's the way that I see that he's written this, is that the next thing flows out of the former thing. So out of this humility flows gentleness, meekness, one of the fruits of the Spirit. You've heard every preacher that's ever mentioned meekness say, this is meek, not weak, right? Meekness is not weakness. You've heard them say that, and that's true. This is not timidity. This is not cowardice, Okay. This is a, a word that was used of wild animals that were tamed. Okay, so you take a wild animal, you tame that wild animal, you take a horse. Horses freak me out, okay, because they're big, they're strong, they're large, and, and you're standing next to this horse. That horse has every ability that it had before it was tamed, but it now obeys its master. Right? Get it? It obeys its master. It was wild, now it has been tamed. It is under control of the master. So gentleness, meekness, this power is now under control by the master. It is for the one with the meek attitude to respond willingly then to the word of God, no matter the requirements, no matter the consequences, humbly receiving the word implanted, a mark of, of self-control 
person that is, uh, this is the person that is capable of righteous anger, which is a lot more rare than we might like to think that it is, okay? Righteous anger, um, because anytime we get angry as Christians, it's always righteous anger as far as we're concerned, but that's a lot more rare than, than we actually think that it is. But this is what righteous anger comes from, is this kind of meekness, control, right? Controlled, directed, not a careless venting of emotions that belittles everybody around, people that are angered at every single nuisance or inconvenience to themselves. They're not ones that know of meekness or gentleness. This is a person that responds willingly to the Word of God. No matter, really, the requirements or the consequences. It's a peacemaker, a person who readily forgives. Out of that, we get patience, translated sometimes long-suffering, right? Patience, difficult, uh, but you think of an example of Noah, right? Noah, guy that was to build a ship in the wilderness, um, really not close to a body of water necessarily, uh, no rain. Um, this is patience. 120 years, right? You work at a task that, that, that you've been told to work at for 120 years, all the while preaching to people concerning the coming judgment of God, and nobody's listening. I mean, it would help your patience out if somebody would listen to you, right? But nobody's listening. Nobody's obeying. As patient saints, we accept God's plan without questioning, without grumbling. Forbearing love, unity. Those are the last ones mentioned. So we just then roll into this forbearing love and then the unity. And this, again, this unity is what he's driving at with the body, right? So he's, he's setting these things up. These are the foundations. These are the blocks. And so then comes the unity within the body. Because, again, we all have to live together, right? We all, we all love each other. I, I have to love you people, right? You have to love me. We don't have a choice. But with all this, this makes it easy, right? This makes it easy, easy to love each other. Forbearing love can be summed up by saying this is taking abuse and still loving that person. After all this comes that outcome then, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's being bound to every other believer. I think it was last week or maybe before, it doesn't matter. He said it uh, sometime previous. Josh did whenever we were going through Romans. He made the statement that um, we have more in common with the believer in North Korea or wherever that we've never met than we do our lost family members, blood family members, because they are eternal family. And maybe I paraphrased that a little bit. I hope I didn't twist your words, but that, but, but that's the thing. When the team goes to, I've, I've recently had some conversations with our, uh, a couple of our friends in San Victor, um, people that I, I don't know really, really well, right? But they are family. Why? Because they're born again, children of God, and they, they're family. And so I have more in common with them. They are family in an eternal spiritual way, more so than, than blood, my blood relatives who are lost. Unity of the Spirit. This is unity working in our lives. This isn't created by the church. This is created by the Holy Spirit. Um, it is our responsibility to conduct ourselves in such a manner that preserves this unity, right? That we preserve the unity. We walk in a manner worthy. That's part of this walking in a manner worthy. This walk will manifest Christ to the world by our oneness, the church's oneness. In our, in our case, the local body's oneness. 
humility gives birth to gentleness. The gentleness gives birth to patience. That gives birth to the forbearing love and all that preserves the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, all that comes back around to us and our involvement in being part of the faith family and not having an attitude see, of, of, you know, we should really go to church this Sunday. You see, after all of that, how that's different than saying, hey, let's, let's go to church this week, right? Vast difference, right? All of that threads together to create a supernatural unity which creates a very powerful testimony for the church as it is in contrast to the attitudes and the disunity that we find in the world. No program, there's no method, no matter how well we execute them, can open the door to the gospel in the way that just individual believers that make up a church in the way that they are genuinely humble and meek and patient and forbearing with each other to create a unity. No program can do that in the church. So, this flows into that cause for the walk, cause of the walk. Everything that relates to salvation, the church, the kingdom of God, it's based on a concept of unity, right? The oneness, and there's a oneness that's displayed here. We think of the Trinity, right? We think of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We think of the Trinity and the oneness in the Trinity, there's no, none of this in there going on and saying, oh, the spotlight's over here. I want it more over here. It's kind of like, you know, a, 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 you take a basketball team that uh, you got a kid on a basketball team that has to have the spotlight. And, and, and he will uh, every time, it's that kid that every time he gets his hand on the ball, the ball goes towards the basket, right? And whenever that happens, when you play, and he might be really good, but whenever that happens a lot, you lose. Why? Because there's no unity here. Matter of fact, there's disunity here. Well, we don't see that kind of attitude within the Trinity, right? We don't see a, hey, I need the spotlight, I need the attention, and we don't see that, in, we're not to see that in the church, right? There's a oneness displayed here, and it's important as it pertains to our, our doctrine and our life. The oneness is wrapped up in one body. Spirit, hope, Lord, one faith, one baptism. Of course, again, God and, and, and our Father. This is the cause of our walk. This is ultimately what this is about. You, you look at this here. There, verse, uh, verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is but one body of believers, the church, uh, which is composed of every saint who has ever trusted or will trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. You know, we could talk about a local body, we can talk about a local church, but there is the, the, the church at large, what we'll call the big C church, right? The, the church at large. There is no denominational, uh, there is no ethnic, there is no racial body there. You know, there isn't the white church and the black church and the Hispanic church and, and the Jewish church and the Gentile church and, and all that. This is, uh, this is Christ's body. And the unity of that body is for God's glory. This is what's part of the heart of the book of, of, the book of Ephesians. There's but one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is the unifying force in the body. If all Christians, if, if, if I was always walking by the Spirit, as I should, 
and, and all of my doctrine and all of my relationships and everything would be purified and unified in my life all the time if I was always doing that 100% of the time like I should be. We are unified in the hope of our calling and that is a calling to salvation that is ultimately um, to eternal perfection and glory. That's where this is headed. We have a calling. And again, I said that was sometimes a misused word, right? We often misuse the word calling. It's, what am I called to do? Well, whenever we usually see it, when we normally see the word calling used, it is about being called from darkness to light, right? It's, it's being pulled from darkness into the light. Um, we, we often think, well, what am I called to do in the church? Am I called to teach this? Am I called to uh, look after these children? Am I called to this? You're called to be holy and blameless. That's what you're called to. And, and I've said that before. I'll say that again. We say that often. We're called to be holy and blameless before Him. If we go back to Ephesians, um, in Ephesians 2, verse 4, you should never do this. It is verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That's our calling. You know, it's not for me to say, well, you know, you've asked me to do this thing, Josh. You've asked me to do this thing. I'm not called to that, right? Now, there's some things that we shouldn't do, okay? I, I, I'm not the best taking care of babies, okay? I'll just be real. I will do it if you want me to. I'd be happy to do that, but I'm not the best at it, all right? There's, there's things that we should all be doing and things that we shouldn't. But the main thing there is to be holy and blameless, that's what He has called us to. Of course, this is about Jesus. He is the one. He is the Lord. There is salvation no one else. There is no other name under heaven by, wi by which men must be saved. It's Acts 4, 12. Because of this, there is only one faith, right? There is but one faith. This is not the act of faith. This is the entirety of the doctrine that is revealed to us in the New Testament. Our one faith is the content of the revealed Word of God. That's it. Otherworldly influences will attempt to fragment that, molest that faith, but that is then no longer faith. That becomes construction of man. Again, that becomes false gospel. That instead of having us focusing Godward, has us focused completely manward, leaving the Godward out and focusing on self. Then there is that baptism, that conf public confession of Jesus as Lord. It's done in none other than the name of Christ. That comes together under Him and for Him. So, as that concludes, as the passage comes to a close there in verse 6, it's a good place for me to stop and ask a couple questions, right? We come to that, we come to verse 6. One God, God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So whenever I get to verse 6 and I think of everything that I've read in the first three chapters and then now in these first few verses of, verse of chapter 4 and, and, I, and I think, okay, this is the foundation that's been built of who I am in Christ. It's about His glory. It's about Him. It's, it's about what God is doing in the world and salvation. And then I look at this in all and through all and this is what it's all about. Is this what God is to me? That's, that's the question. Is this what God is to me? Is this who God is to me? Is this what then the church is to me? Because the church, this is what He's given us. This is how He's given us to operate, right? And you've heard people say, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, I, I 
to be very blunt, I, I disagree with that um, because that's not the way Christ set it up, right? This is not the way Jesus set this up. Is this what the church is to me? Is this what the walk is to me? Because that's really where we do this walk, right? That's what We do this within the context of we're not left alone in this. We do this within the context of, of a faith family, right? That's how we do this walk. Do I see Him as overall, through all, and in all? Is church somewhere I go? You know, is this, is, do I think of church in this abstract way that this is, a, this is the building, this is where I go? Or is this who I am? It's a big difference, right? Is this something that I'm a part of? Is this a body that I am serving in? Serving God and serving others. Our one God and Father along with the Son and the Holy Spirit is overall, through all, in all. Statement points to the, the glorious, the divine, eternal unity that believers have by His Spirit through the Son. Are you under God? Are you part of the living, breathing thing that is His church? If you're not, the good news is that you can repent and trust Him and follow Him. And then you come into a faith family, you come into a body of people who love you and care for you and walk alongside you. And who, they aren't perfect either, but we're accountable to each other. We're doing this together. And it's for us to repent and then come into this walk. And it's beyond just being worthy. Yes, it's, it's worthy. It's the only thing, right? It's, it's really, that's it, because that's, that's the way that the passage ends up. God, of Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's nothing else. I mean, that tells you there is, there's nothing else. There's no place else for me to go. It's like, it's like uh, Peter said to Jesus, right? Where else are we going to go? It's a beyond a worthy thing. It's the only thing. It's the call, and it's the walk, and He is the all in all. Let's pray. Uh, Father, again, our reason for existence, Father, is You. Our reason for existence is Your glory, Your kingdom. Father, this is an honor and a privilege that You have given us. It's an honor and a privilege that the world does not understand. Um, it's an honor and a privilege that we didn't understand until You came to us and pulled us, called us out of darkness into light. And uh, Father, I just pray for each and every one here. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't, uh, Father, see this, that they would speak to someone. Father, we, uh, we thank You for the salvation that has been provided to us in Jesus Christ. We thank You for the instruction that You give us concerning the walk that we are to have before you and the privilege that it is that you've given us to be able to serve you. Help us in this. Help us help others in this. Help us help our, our loved ones that we have here with us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be accountable to each other, that we would help each other, that we would be receptive whenever someone comes to us with this. Um, Father, use us for your purpose and your honor and your glory. And thank you for it. Thank you for Jesus and the salvation that's provided. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were deeply affected by this week's message titled, The Walk. 
Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Thank you.